Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I've got a couple of verses, one from Old Testament, one from New. I've got my flashcard in my hand. This is kind of an old card, but I love it. It's Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. <laughs> That's good to know before we start the show. And also a great uh, passage out of uh, Luke chapter 6 uh, from the uh, Sermon on the, on the Mount. In verse 22, it says, Blessed are those when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. That's how I wanted to start today. We've got a great show coming up. Uh, Rob Louie is my first guest. He's the executive editor over at the Daily Signal. Rob, welcome to the show. It's great to be back, Bill. Thanks for having me. So what is traffic like in D.C.? Is it going to keep you from your Mensa meeting tonight? Yeah. Well, traffic in much of D.C. is non-existent because of the security zone that has been created around uh, the inauguration, which will take place uh, midday tomorrow. Uh, The um, events of January 6th have certainly uh, changed the circumstances in Washington in, in a way that I think you have heightened protection from the National Guard and police and uh, and and obviously, rightfully so. I think that there's great great concern about um, any disruptions that might take place. There's also going to be it's going to be a much different feel this year in D.C. around inauguration uh, than years past, uh, in part because of of COVID nineteen. And I think uh, even people who watch it on television will be able to pick up on some of that because the crowd just will be not existent, and even the crowd on the stage will be significantly uh, fewer people than uh, than are typically crammed in uh, on the U.S. Capitol steps. Mm-hmm. So have you ventured uh, anywhere near your office, or have you staying at home the last several days? Well, I've stayed at home uh, the last several days. Uh, in fact, uh, people who have tried to get in said it just took a incredibly long period of time to navigate the uh, the road closures. Uh, the Daily Signal uh, is uh, is located uh, just a, a couple of blocks away from the U.S. Capitol, so we're right mm-hmm. in that zone um, that is that uh, is part of that security uh, perimeter. And um, and you know, uh, frankly, uh, I think that uh, it's always tight security. I have. Uh, been to two inaugurations. Uh, I as one as a reporter, uh, one as somebody who just took uh, took the kids mm-hmm. um, uh, and the family. And uh, in both circumstances, uh, it's just um, you know high security. I remember four years ago. Uh, the <laughs> kind of the way you needed to weave through, uh, you know, we take the, the subway and you, you get off and, and you walk several blocks to, to where you need to be. Uh, the other time was 2005 when I was a reporter. And I remember I was actually the first reporter bill to show up the day I, I could have I had my pick of whatever seat I wanted to uh, on that day in 2005. And uh, and w- both of those, uh, you know, are just uh, just memorable experiences. And of course, watching the uh, the Obama and 
inaugural in 09 when so many people came to Washington on such a bitterly cold day. <laughs> um, you know, just a, just a, you know, uh, another experience that um, that our country looks forward to every four years to hear what the president's vision is and, uh, and where they want to take us. Yeah. And it's such a celebratory event. And I feel terribly sorry for uh, people who are in the hospitality industry, uh, hotels, restaurants. I, I heard somebody in the restaurant business saying, typically, this is uh, for the biggest days of my year. Oh, absolutely. Uh, any anytime you have a major event like this in Washington, and and not just a, a typical year, probably every four years, uh, you know, to, to have an event like this, it's uh, it's a huge. Um, Huge loss uh, for for those small business owners and and others who uh, who work in hotels and restaurants. Uh, I I feel for them and uh, and and that's why I think there are things that uh, hopefully we can all do in, in our in our own lives um, to, to support them, find ways to support them, leave a little bit of an extra tip if you're able, and uh, and just keep them in your prayers as they uh, as they you know struggle with the, the consequences of of COVID nineteen. Uh, because even before we had the violence that, that broke out at the Capitol on January sixth, uh, President-elect Biden had indicated that it would be a significantly different inauguration this year just because of uh, the restrictions that we have with social distancing. And he has made clear that this is going to be his top priority. So he's going to set a, an example himself uh, for, for how he goes about uh, doing it. And in, in this particular case, uh, he's not going to have the traditional parade uh, that would go down Pennsylvania Avenue. And uh, it'll be much more scaled back and virtual, if you will, um, than uh, we, we are accustomed to. Mm-hmm. And who will do the swearing in? Do you know what justice? I, I, I don't know which justice yet. Um, I, I'm not even sure how that's determined. If the president gets to pick yeah, or if they, the, the, the chief justice um, <laughs> passes it, it on to somebody else. But uh, but yeah, uh, uh, that'll be interesting to watch. Uh, he's he's the vice pre- uh, former vice president, President-elect Biden has picked um, his uh, the various people who will be performing and uh, and don't quiz me on all of them. But That's I, right. I know that, uh, you know, he'll he'll be uh, the former president of Georgetown uh, University, uh, which, of course, is a Jesuit university, will be uh, delivering the invocation. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he'll have uh, Garth Brooks, uh, I know, performing. And there, there are a couple other um, uh, big name uh, celebrities who will be on hand uh, for for the event. And I, I you know. Bill, I'm really hoping that we hear from uh, President-elect Biden, uh, soon-to-be President Biden, uh, a message of, of, of hope and unity that can bring our country together, particularly at a time when we seem to be so divided. And he's talked about this in the past. And I think regardless of where you fall in the political spectrum, uh, having a president uh, embrace um, unity and uh, and working together is always a good thing because uh, that means that uh, we're hopefully in a in a place of dialogue, and even though we might disagree, uh, there might be an opportunity to compromise and and bring people together. I agree, Rob. Let's pray that message is um, clear and that he can um, do that soon, maybe even at the inauguration. So I heard that uh, uh, Vice President Harris will be sworn in by Sonia Sotomayor. So I did hear that. Okay, well, that is, uh, yeah. So, so there's one one clue um, to the puzzle, and uh, it'll it'll be interesting. Of course, as as your listeners, I'm sure know, uh, this is a, a bit unusual inauguration in that the president of the United States, the current president, will be leaving Washington around uh, 8 a.m. tomorrow. He's having a farewell ceremony at uh, Andrews Air Force Base. He will be departing. 
uh, on Air Force One for Florida. Um, I think he arrives around 11 a.m., uh, mm-hmm. so before the ceremonies begin in Washington, uh, whereas Vice President Pence uh, will will not be going uh, with uh, with uh, to Andrews Air Force Base. He will stay uh, in the District of Columbia, and he will head to the Capitol, where he will be present. It's the first time since Andrew Johnson skipped uh, Ulysses S. Grant's inauguration that a president has not attended his successor's inauguration. And uh, and even as Joe Biden said, uh, probably for the best, um, given the recent actions. But uh, but in any case, uh, you, you, you just hope that um, uh, that everybody uh, has a safe day. Uh, hopefully the message is, is one that uh, Americans uh, can can rally around and it'll be busy. Uh, the, uh, Joe Biden has talked about uh, having an aggressive first 10 days. So by the time we talk next week, Bill, I'm sure we'll have plenty of uh, policy areas to cover because there's no shortage of things that he promises to undo from the Trump administration and, and new directives that he plans to make for mm-hmm. his administration. Rob, maybe we could take some time and you could share what uh, President Trump's final actions will be between now and 8, and 8 a.m. tomorrow, and then also what... Uh, President-elect Joe Biden's first actions are planning to be. Yes. So one of the things that we're waiting on from President Trump is um, is, is who he uh, plans to pardon. Uh, presidents have been known uh, to wait until the very last minute to issue their pardons. Uh, Bill Clinton famously did this in 2001, and it came under much scrutiny in, uh, in the days afterwards. So Trump has, uh, has been talking about this for quite some time. He's already done some of this, but some of those will be political allies. Others will probably be individuals who are, have caught up in the criminal justice system and paid their, t- uh, paid their dues. Um, your listeners should know that just moments ago, uh, the White House released President Trump's farewell address to the nation um, in which he talked about the things that he's most proud of accomplishing uh, during his, his tenure in the White House. Uh, he's talked, uh, he's, he thanked a great uh, number of people for, for their support over the past four years. He um, you know, talked about a lot of the policies. He had a specific line in there where he said he was the first uh, president in, in many decades not to start any new wars um, when he was in the White House. So, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is I think, his, his farewell message. Uh, obviously, the president is still blocked from social media platforms, so his ability to get that out to a, a wide audience is a little bit more limited uh, than it was uh, just a couple of weeks ago, but I'm sure it'll be available on, uh, on, on most news news outlets and uh, we'll be covering it at the Daily Signal. Mm-hmm. Um, as for what comes next, <laughs> so you can expect that shortly after President uh, Biden arrives in the White House tomorrow, that he will start taking some executive actions. There are some things that he needs Congress to do, including confirming his cabinet nominees, uh, but there are some things that he can do on his own uh, as president. And he has uh, identified four areas that uh, he says will be the primary focus over his first uh, 10 days. Four crises, actually, was what he's calling them. Uh, the first is, uh, as will not be surprising, is, uh, is COVID-19. Um, that is something that I think all Americans agree on. It needs to be a top priority and focus of this administration. Uh, the resulting economic crisis is another 
uh, what he calls the climate crisis uh, being a third, and uh, he's identified the racial equity crisis as a fourth. And so he'll be uh, taking a number of immediate actions uh, through executive orders and other presidential directives um, to, to do that. Um, he's going to be starting without a cabinet, though. So cabinet, um, cabinet secretary started to cabinet secretary nominees started to have their hearings before Congress today. And I expect that to ramp up uh, because another important change will happen tomorrow, Bill, and that's Democrats will take control of the U.S. Senate uh, once uh, Vice President once Vice President Harris uh, is sworn into office and mm-hmm. officially becomes the president of the Senate. So lots of changes happening all at once in Washington. Yeah. Uh, Rob, do we know who uh, President Biden's press secretary will be? Yes, it's going to be uh, a woman by the name of Jen Psaki. She uh, is... Uh, will be a familiar face uh, to those who remember the Obama administration. She uh, worked in, uh, in in the State Department there and had other roles uh, in the Obama administration. So um, uh, he has a he has named what he describes as as I think the the largest number of, of White House staff uh, prior to inauguration uh, than any president, at least in recent memory. So he um, has has filled out his cabinet and he's filled out the White House staff uh, over these past few months. Um, I think purposefully wanting to avoid any stumbles out of the gate and uh, and get things going. As 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 we know, these first one hundred days will be measured, um, probably more and scrutinized more so than than others. Um, so it's important for whoever is taking office, and this is true for governors and mayors and other elected officials, that they really do put a lot of uh, focus uh, what happens early on. In their administration in terms of setting the tone. Mm-hmm. Rob Blue is my guest, my Washington, D.C. correspondent, as, as well as the executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can head to dailysignal.com after a short break. Lots more with Rob. Back to the show. So glad to have Rob Bluey on today, my Washington, D.C. correspondent and uh, executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can always head to dailysignal.com, check out what's going on over there. Um, Rob, so let's, let's chat about what's going on in the Senate now that there's a 50-50 split. How, how's that going to work? Well, it's it's quite rare, Bill, for this to to happen. Um, it's only happened uh, a few times in our history. In fact, uh, one of the last times that it happened, uh, there was one senator who flipped uh, to give um, the. Uh, in, in that case, Republicans had control because Vice President Cheney in two thousand and one was the president of the Senate. Uh, that's just how our system of government works. And uh, when Jim Jeffords switched parties to the Democrats, of course, it handed Democrats the majority. So there was a, a, a shift. Um, I don't expect that to happen this time, although there is pressure on, on both moderates and in both parties, I think, to uh, to do that. But what it means essentially is that tomorrow, when uh, when Vice President Harris uh, is sworn in, uh, Chuck Schumer, who is currently the minority leader, will flip to become the majority leader because ties were are broken by the vice president and the vice president is a Democrat in this case. So even though it's a 50-50 split, mm-hmm. the Democrats will, in essence, be in charge of the Senate. 
that does carry with it some uh, important distinctions. Uh, they will have uh, greater control in terms of com the committee process. They will be the chairman of the chairman or chairwoman of the committees. And, uh, and Republicans last time this happened uh, tended to have a, 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 about a 50-50 split on those committees, but we'll see what, uh, what Mitch McConnell is able to negotiate on behalf of Republicans. I do know, based on press reports, that Mitch McConnell is trying to uh, secure as part of the, the package here um, of, of what, what it means to govern in a 50-50 Senate, uh, a promise that the Democrats will not get rid of the legislative filibuster. Of course, the filibuster is that tool in the Senate that prevents it from behaving uh, like the House, where simple majority rules. You actually need to have 60 votes in order for uh, major legislation to pass. It was uh, installed in part because they wanted the Senate to be the place where things cooled off. Uh, mm -hmm. so the, ha the, House, the House might be you know, eager to, to enact a bill, uh, and then the Senate would be, as it's come to be known, the world's greatest deliberative body where you would have um, a lot of debate about it. Now, there are critics who say that that's been abused and that we should just get rid of it and make it a, a you know, a 50 vote, um, well, in this case, a 51 vote uh, majority. Um, but we'll see uh, what ha ultimately happens. I think there are people probably on both sides of the aisle who want to preserve that because they recognize that at some point they'll probably find themselves in the minority and they want to protect their minority rights um, to use that. So. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a big change, and I think what it ultimately means is probably those those cabinet nominees that uh, that President Biden uh, would like to push through are going to have a little bit of an easier path uh, than they would have if Republicans were in charge. Mm -hmm. So the filibuster, if that gets challenged, where does it? How far does it go? And does it go to the Supreme Court eventually? How how will that be decided? Probably not. I mean, I that's that's an interesting question about whether um, a court could uh, could weigh in. But mm -hmm. I think that this because it's a rule change, uh, it would okay. most likely not end up there. And it most likely. So uh, 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 give you an example of precedent. So back um, when the Democrats were last in control of the uh, the Senate. Uh, you might remember Harry Reid was the majority leader. Mm -hmm. uh, Barack Obama was the president. And they they used to have a process where they would uh, filibuster uh, judicial nominees. And the Democrats ended up uh, undoing that. And they said, no, 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 we're not going to have a 60-vote threshold for these nominees. Uh, they can just m move forward. And this was one of the reasons that President Trump was able to be so aggressive in filling uh, these judicial vacancies, because he didn't have to reach that higher threshold. Uh, that That's an example of how the Democrats uh, probably wish that they may not have made that change because it, it really allowed Trump to have a major uh, imprint on on the courts for for a great many years to follow, including three Supreme Court justices. So uh, there are there are always uh, consequences to uh, to these actions. And I think that in the short term, uh, there are those who say, no, we need to pass things like the Green New Deal and we need to undo the tax cuts and we need, uh, you know, to um, increase the minimum wage to $15, and you can go down the list of a, a number of things. I mean, there are some more radical ideas on that list, like expanding the size of the Supreme Court and uh, and adding new states to the union that I think, um, you know, Democrats would also like to do. And they would have a difficult time doing that with the filibuster. So they say, get mm -hmm. rid of it. Uh, let's just uh, let's just 
you know, make it a, a 50 plus one and uh, we'll get our agenda enacted. And then, you know, uh, so be it uh, for, for history and, and what the institution um, uh, says about it. So the, here's the thing, though, Bill, it'll be interesting. Joe Biden comes out of the Senate. He spent uh, decades in the Senate and he his vice president was most recently a senator. So they may have uh, a different perspective on it than some of the people who are, are more aggressively pushing to to end this practice. And uh, and, you know, as. Um, as as the party that's really going to be in control of both the legislative and the executive branch, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot that uh, you know that Republicans are going to be able to do about it if if they're not able to um, to to win over a few few allies like a Joe Manchin of West Virginia who's a Democrat, a moderate Democrat, mm-hmm. who uh, who might say no, I'm not going to go along with this this plan. Mm-hmm. This question from a listener, Rob, could probably um, uh, be applied to any president in the last couple hundred years. How will the Senate and the House keep the president in check when he uses executive orders? It's a great question. Uh, So we have seen the power of the executive branch increase, uh, as you indicated, over over the past 100 years. There's no doubt about that. And uh, and there's been a great concern um, that Article One of the Constitution is being ignored. Uh, that puts the focus on the legislative branch. They're they're not doing the the hard work of legislating. Uh, they're they're not um, you know taking actions uh, that really belong uh, with our lawmakers uh, and and not at the White House. Um, you saw this uh, during the Obama administration uh, with uh, with programs like DACA, which uh, which. Which gave you know uh, changed the status of of certain immigrants. Um, uh, you saw President Trump come in and undo some of those things, and you saw President Trump take other actions that um, that uh, the Democrats thought uh, were beyond his reach. Uh, that they, they some of which were challenged in in in, in courts and and were uh, upheld, by the way. So I think that there are some people who really look to the Constitution, and they are members of both parties. And uh, to your listeners' question, um, you know, they they want to reclaim some of that power. And I think that it starts with, in, in some cases, with oversight, um, providing uh, some strong oversight over the administration. Uh, that sometimes doesn't happen when when the same party controls uh, both branches of government. Uh, and in other cases, it could just mean that our, our lawmakers get back to doing the hard work. And that's one way to keep the president in check uh, by making sure that, uh, that, that the White House doesn't get uh, too overzealous in, in what it's doing. Uh, but there are there are a number of things that I, I think you should expect to see in the first 10 days coming out of the White House. Uh, there are a number of things that will happen tomorrow, for instance. And uh, and those are things that um, that a president typically has done in as first as actions. And it's it's in some cases undoing what the previous uh, previous White House did. And in some cases, uh, it may be taking it even a step farther uh, than what the previous president did. So we'll be closely watching that and and encourage your listeners uh, to keep an eye on the Daily Signal, because we plan full coverage of those early actions uh, in the days to come. And that's pretty typical, isn't it, though, Rob, just for the incoming president to undo what the the, pre- the previous president put down. So we're, we've we've been expecting that for a long time. Uh, it certainly is. I yeah. mean, one of the one of the most classic cases is uh, is on, on the issue of abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, we expect that, uh, that that President Biden would come in um, and take action immediately on on the Mexico City policy, um, which would you know direct agencies uh, to look for ways to expand uh, access um, to abortions. Um, 
you know, so that is that that's one one way uh, that they could do it. Another thing, President Trump took some actions uh, in, on the transgender issue, for instance, uh, both limiting what educational institutions and the military uh, were able to do. Um, this was reversing what Obama uh, and his administration mm -hmm. had done. So I expect that that at some at some point in the coming days, a president, uh, Joe Biden, would uh, would take action on that. Mm -hmm. um, he, w one thing he said that he will do immediately as it relates to COVID-19 is issue a national mask mandate uh -huh. on, on federal grounds and uh, in interstate uh, travel. So lots to watch, Bill, yeah, that's for no sure. Doubt. Rob, thanks so much. Look forward to chatting next week. Thanks, Bill. You bet. Rob Bluey, my guest. We'll take a short break. When we come back, Dr. Greg Borgon will be talking about a legacy. Be right back. Have you ever wondered how you're going to be remembered? Because everyone is going to leave a legacy. And we are going to talk about that today with uh, Dr. Greg Borgon. He's the president and founder of Heart of a Warrior Ministries. It's a ministry dedicated to helping men live lives of integrity and honor under God's authority. And so the big question today is how will you be remembered, which is an important step. And Greg's going to help us go through that today. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here, Bill. It's nice to have you on, and I want to say I'm I'm putting a lot of uh, work on your plate this week because you're going to be my <laughs> guest tomorrow night as well during the prayer series. So thank you for stepping up and saying yes to two invitations. Um, you always bring such incredible uh, content to the show, and I know you've got a rich history in your 47 years of your prayer life. We'll talk about that tomorrow, a little quick commercial for tomorrow prayer series. But let's talk today about legacy. Yeah, talk about an important subject, Bill. I mean, when you take a look at the landscape, especially the political landscape today, you, we're kind of hard-pressed to find anybody we'd want to imitate. But yet, Scripture is very clear. It says in Hebrews thirteen seven, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So first of all, when we think about people we want to emulate, we have to not just so much hear what they had to say, but we have to observe how they lived, because how they live will actually say more than what their verbal comments might indicate. So how will these people be remembered? What kind of a legacy uh, have they left if those who are alive today keep doing what they're doing? What legacy will they leave? Let me just throw out some names, Bill. And think about the legacy. If they keep living or if they've passed or if they keep living the way that they're living today, what kind of legacy will they leave? Mother Teresa, Bill Clinton, Billy Graham, Ronald Reagan, Bono of YouTube, Tiger Woods, Charlie Sheen, <laughs> Bill Cosby, Bishop Desmond Tutu, Joseph, uh, one of the patriarchs, King David. C.S. Lewis, Donald Trump, Nancy Pelosi, or anyone else you might recall. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you take a look at their lives, if they keep going on the trajectory they're going, or if they have passed, what kind of legacy have they left? 
uh, and if they're living, what kind of legacy are they living that they will leave eventually? So some time ago, Bill, I, I met with uh, business people who were responsible as benefactors in the renewal of a rundown area of their city. As they settled in, I told them that what they accomplished was remarkable. However, admirable their achievement, though I said, chances are few would remember their financial sacrifice over time. You could see their countenance drop a bit. I I told them, if they erect a statue in your honor, it will primarily serve as a perch for pigeons within the first two weeks of its construction. (laughs) (laughs) If they name a building after you, chances are people passing by will wonder how much money you had to give for such a distinction. Few will take the time, really, to learn about the substance of a person's life. I continued to say, I'm not against philanthropy. However, from a biblical perspective, the only legacy worth leaving and is the one that you're living in the lives of others, and that is a godly legacy. So, Bill, everyone leaves a legacy. Legacy, I, I would define as the aroma left in the nostrils of those we leave behind, those who God brought within our sphere of influence long after we're gone. For some of us, it's going to be a stench. For others, it's a pleasant fragrance that recalls who we were and how we lived our lives. The question is, what legacy will you leave? What will remain long after you're gone? What artifacts will bear testimony to your life and how you led it? How will you finish the journey? At some point in time, we ask ourselves, why am I here? Where am I going? What is the significance of my life? I mean, that's all about legacy, personal questions of purpose, progress, and permanence, which we've just described, haunt us throughout our lives, compelling us to repeatedly ask ourselves, is there more to life than I'm experiencing? We can't claim originality in pondering these issues. God placed uh, a spark of the eternal in our souls that beckons us, really, to contemplate the purpose of our being. We read in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God's done from the beginning to the end. So this whole sense of the eternal, Bill, is embedded in our soul. It Mm -hmm. compels us to ask these questions in one form or another uh, over the course of our life in every generation, every era, Uh, Every ethnic group, same questions arise. Why am I here? Some variation of these. Why am I here? Am I making any progress? And will I do have any lasting impact? Well, not only were you on the heart of God before you ever came to be, um, but God has prepared in advance a unique purpose for your life. So we read in Psalm 139, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Mm-hmm. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So none of us are here by mistake or happenstance or coincidence. We're here by the direct plan of God. As a matter of fact, all of the listeners, you need to understand you were on the heart of God before you ever came to be. And not only that, Ephesians 2.10 tells us where we are God's workmanship, Mm -hmm. created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared, get this now, in advance for us to do. So God declared a purpose for all of us, Bill, before we ever came to be. 
And that's the legacy we are to leave. It's mm-hmm. uncovering that very unique purpose. Does that make sense? It makes a ton of sense. And when I think of when Jesus would address the apostles and say where he had come from, who he was, and where he was going, sometimes I think it might be hard to know who you are if you don't know where you've come from, where you've been, and it may be hard to know where you're going if you don't know who you are. So, Absolutely. You know, you can spend a lot of, lot of years, decades, floundering, wondering what am I doing to make a difference for the kingdom that will be, in fact, my legacy? Because whatever you do for eternity is your legacy. Yeah, I mean, it just stands to reason. Common sense tells us that if you agree that you were brought into this world by the Creator, then He designed you for a certain purpose. But the only way that you're going to find that purpose out is to listen to the heart of the Creator. Mm-hmm. So finding your niche and meaning can only be attained when you tune your heart to the heart of God. Um, after a, an encounter with Ahab and Jezebel, Elijah sought God's voice. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. His voice was heard still as a gentle whisper. So in the chaos of life, we too often succumb to the tyranny of the urgent. The business of our lives creates so much noise, uh, we can't hear the voice of God. I believe that reason, uh, the reason that God speaks so profoundly in a gentle whisper is that it forces us to lean forward to hear it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, I've told this story in the past, but at the turn of the century, Bill, small communities would erect ice houses to preserve their food. These buildings were generally made of thick walls, no windows. They had a door at the front and, and one at the back. When the weather turned cold and rivers and lakes began to freeze, the men in the community would cut large chunks of ice and transport them into the ice out by horse and sled. Uh, they'd cover the ice with straw or sawdust. People would bring their perishable foods into the ice house. Be- because of its construction, the ice would often last into the summer, the following summer, before the ice house, ice house needed to be cleaned out of rotten food and debris. On one such occasion, a small boy was witnessing the men going in and out of the ice house as they cleaned it. One man came out frantically declaring that he'd lost a family heirloom, his watch. It it was in the rubble somewhere. The boy quickly ran into the ice house and emerged 10 minutes minutes later holding the watch. The men were astonished and asked how he found it. He said, it was simple. I laid down on the straw until I heard the ticking. When is the last time you laid down in the straw to hear the ticking of God's voice? Mm, pretty convicting. Yeah, pretty powerful. Yeah, it's pretty um, powerful. Eric Erickson uh, and social scientist Atterman uh, identify a stage of adult psychological development happening during middle adulthood between the ages of approximately 40 and 65. They, he called it, and they called it, generativity. Here's what that means. It elicits a growing concern and need as we grow older to nurture and guide younger people and contribute to the next generation, to pass on a legacy to others, something that matters to whom uh, it matters to him or her. This finding resonates with the Bible when we're told uh, to entrust others what we've learned. Exactly. So when we look at these passages of 2 Timothy 2.2, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. 
And in First Chronicles 28, 8, so now I charge you. This is somebody, this is David actually passing on a legacy. David's saying this. So now I charge you in the sight of all Israel and of the assembly of the Lord and of the hearing of our God, be careful to follow all the commandments of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. So this driving need is actually a sociological phenomenon as well as a spiritual one. And generally when we're approaching our middle ages and our later years, and especially as we sense the end is near, we have this absolute urge to pass on Bill to people that really matter in our life. What we've learned, something that will help guide them, some sort of a legacy. So, so let's back up and, and say it sounds like uh, grandparents need to share what's on their heart from what God has taught them over so many decades to their kids and grandkids. Yeah, we have an obligation to them. We can't take responsibility for what they're going to do with the information right. or even if they're going to receive it, right, Bill? Right. But we have an obligation to them to pass on what we've learned. We can't remain silent or else they're they're not going to be able to navigate an ever-darkening world that we're facing. Mm-hmm. Y- you know that one of my favorite movies is Gladiator. I know. What a shock, right? What a shock. One of, what are the, one of the most powerful statements in that movie is just before the battle at the opening scenes of the movie when Maximus, the general, is on his horse and rides up into the hills to meet with the rest of his cavalry and uh, makes a couple of introductory comments. Then this pagan Roman general makes this profound statement. He said, what we do in life echoes in eternity. That's legacy. Yeah, it sure is. Now, there are four possible legacies you can leave. No legacy whatsoever, which is a legacy in itself. Some people are born, live, and die with few, if any, remembering they existed at all. Mm -hmm. And and so that's one legacy, no legacy. Another legacy is a bad legacy that leaves scars and damage in its wake. We have plenty of examples, even recently, uh, that uh, show us and present this type of legacy. The third type of legacy, Bill, is a perishable legacy. A perishable legacy such as a company, a business, a medical breakthrough, or some other tangible manifestation reminds others of the contribution we've made. Albeit, there is a fourth one. Uh, The only legacy that will echo in eternity, though, is this fourth one, a godly legacy. The legacy we leave in and on the lives of others. And it's never too early or too late to begin living a legacy worth leaving in the lives of others, especially those closest to us, even our grandchildren, as you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how you start the journey, folks. What matters is how you finish it. Each of us has something of value to pass on to someone of value. Each of us has been given something of value by God to give to someone he values. Uh, Let's let people chew on that thought just for a minute. We'll take a little break. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. We're talking about legacy, making sure that we leave an eternal one. Take a short break and be back.
talking about legacy today, Dr. Greg Borgon. You can go to heartofawarrior.org to learn more about Greg and his ministry of helping men live lives of integrity and honor under God's authority. So let's go back, Greg. Uh, there, you, right before the break, you talked about the four different possible legacies you could leave. And of course, the final one being the most important one, and that is a uh, legacy that will echo in eternity. That's a godly legacy. Yeah, that's correct. You know, early on, Bill, I gave values to each of my grandchildren, as you know. Um, now the oldest is 22. Uh, the youngest is 18. But when they were very, very small, I gave them values. And I recognized even at an early stage that values are the filter through which we process all life decisions. And I knew that the world was getting darker. So I wanted to give them a filter to process their decisions so that decisions that they make in life would be God-honoring. So at first, they, they were terms of endearment when they were real young. And I would greet them with their values. I'd say to Braden, for instance, who is now 22, but when he was very young, strength and honor, Braden. To Galen, I'd say goodness and integrity. Um, you know, to Kieran, I'd say courage and valor. Kieran Lachlan, I'd say truth and wisdom. And Derek, peace and justice. And to Lisa, love and joy. And so we greet each other that way. To this day, Bill, even after Christmas, we just finished celebrating Christmas. We were the whole family was here, and as they were leaving, each one came up to me and gave me a hug, and Braden said, strength and honor, Papa. Oh. I said, strength and honor, son. Mm, so and cool. same thing with Kieran and Galen. All of them came up to me. I didn't have to prompt them. It's embedded in them. That's so amazing. I would look for teachable moments when they were young, Bill, to illustrate the importance of those values. I embedded them in blessings I wrote for them that are actually on my wall where we opened up for a presence Christmas morning, all of their blessings that had their values embedded in them. Um, so I wrote them for each of them, realizing that the world wouldn't be so kind. I wanted them to know what I saw in them, <clears throat> that they were valued and esteemed, that they mattered. It was my legacy for them on, in all actuality. My mentor, Dr. J. Robert Clinton, some of the audience may know that name. He wrote um, uh, The Making of a Leader and uh, founded the theory base called Leadership Emergence Theory. Um, he and Bobby, as he preferred to be called by those that he mentored, identified several possible legacies one could leave and live, for that matter. He called these ultimate contributions. He defined it this way, a lasting legacy of a Christian for which he or she is remembered which furthers the cause of Christianity by one or more of the following means. A legacy that a person will leave behind after life's over. It's possible to leave several ultimate contributions or legacies in his view. For instance, your legacy might be setting standards for life or for ministry. It might be impacting lives by enfolding them in the kingdom or developing them once in God's kingdom as a discipler. It might be serving as a stimulus for change, which betters the world. And, Bill, you know we need change. Uh, leaving behind an organization or an institution or a movement that will further channel God's work, or even the discovery of ideas or communication of them or the promotion of them so that they further God's work. So some other examples of legacies you could strive for by visualizing a preferable future and making present-day decisions that will guarantee that outcome. Here's a couple I would also recommend. Rekindle broken or strained relationships by forgiving and asking forgiveness and acting in the best interests of others. Wow, what a legacy that That's would be. That's huge. How about living out your faith by winning and folding, equipping and deploying faithful followers of Christ? 
Um, I mean, if God calls me home and that's what I'm remembered for, that's worth living for. It's also worth dying for. Find someone to mentor in spiritual or personal matters. Maybe your legacy will be investing in others by becoming actively involved in a ministry area. Maybe serving, serve as a stimulus for change which betters the world. Be a loving, godly husband or wife, father or mother, son or daughter, sister or brother, grandfather or grandmother, those that should mean the most to you. Live your life for an audience of one. What a legacy that would be. That's outstanding. So here's some questions to ponder. And what fragrance will linger when God calls you home? Are you investing the treasure God's given you in the lives of your loved ones, in the lives of your friends, in the lives God's given you an opportunity to influence on his behalf? When you meet the Lord face to face, will he honor you for wisely investing your talents in the lives of others? Or will he chastise you as he did the servant who buried his talent in the ground? Let me just take us briefly, Bill, to that passage in Scripture that actually talks about this uh, confrontation he had uh, that this passage has with three servants. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, we read this. Again, it was like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents to another one talent, each according to their ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one who had two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So after a long time, the scripture says, the master of these servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Mastery said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. A man with two talents also came. Mastery said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I gained two more. His master replied, well done. Good and faithful servant, you've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered with seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has had 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he who have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a startling story, Bill. And it, it seems like such a strong hyperbole. But in essence, what it's saying is we've all been given, I mean, one way, one application of it is we've all been given certain talents and abilities that 
at the judgment seat of Christ when believers have to appear before Christ to give an account for what we've done with what we've been given, just like this, these servants, God's expecting an ROI, a return on his investment. <laughs> and rewards will be given accordingly, depending on the return that we give. Woe be it unto us if we have nothing to return other than what we were given at our birth, because we did nothing with it. So, Bill, this whole conversation about legacy is so absolutely critical, because when all is said and done, we have to ask ourselves, what aroma do we really want to leave? Yeah, great question. Great observation as well. I usually quote Walt Hendrickson uh, on occasions like this because I studied with Walt for a couple of years. Once great a, man. Once a month. Yeah, he was he was a great man. He uh, would actually fly in from Colorado to spend like five, six hours with a group of guys, and I was a part of that. And this was his line that I think you'll love, Greg. He said, God makes you an incredible offer. You can give your life in exchange for the same thing for which Jesus spent his life, people. People last forever. For good or bad, they are eternal. Spend your life helping them prepare for eternity. Don't give your life to mediocrity. Life is too short and the issues of eternity too significant. Wow, what a powerful statement, Bill. Yeah, I like that. But that's absolutely true. That's kind of a legacy statement as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank- so what aroma are we going to leave? That's the question. That's How do we want to be remembered? Great question. What aroma? That's something we can all think about, pray about, and say, what, what are we going to be uh, What are we going to be doing? So that's good. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time today to be on the show. And tomorrow you'll be joining me on the prayer series. We're going to learn from you what you've learned in 47 years of uh, following Jesus. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to it as well, Bill. Thank, thank you so much. Dr. Greg Borgon has been my guest, Heart of a Warrior Ministries.org. If you want to learn more about him, he's written a number of books and he's uh, got some blogs and some other good stuff up there. Heart of a Warrior.org. All right, we'll take a little break. When we come back, my regular guest, Jeff Verdorn, is going to be joining me. We're going to talk about being ambassadors for Christ. That's all up next. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.